In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. As we gather this morning in this beautiful place, in what for us is this beautiful day, I know that we are all especially mindful of those needing God's presence and care, those recovering from Hurricane Harvey and its flooding, and those experiencing even now Hurricane Irma, and those who will be dealing with it in the days ahead. They are in our spoken prayers. They're in the prayers of our hearts. We've already seen and read of ordinary people doing extraordinary things in the news and elsewhere, but we'll keep praying that God would strengthen the weak and protect the helpless and make miracles wherever possible. These storms this week, this season, shake everyone, I think, even veteran storm watchers in their enormity, in their unpredictability, their their ability to disrupt and displace. Even as I've sort of held all of that in awe, I've also been thinking about the observations of one of my favorite writers, um, the Southern writer Walker Percy, had a peculiar view of hurricanes in particular. (laughs) Walker Percy was a, a devout Roman Catholic in a very quiet sort of way, Um, and also had a kind of world weariness in his uh, outlook on the world, and this often appears in his fictional characters, especially as his characters, one after the other, fight against what Percy named the malaise. (laughs) For Walker Percy, this word malaise or, or ennui or the ancient uh, Christian uh, discipline uh, word of of Achidie, it's all the same, this kind of world weariness, boredom, um, not quite knowing what to do with the various hand we feel like we've been dealt. Percy took this and realized that given this malaise that so many people deal with, live in spite of, that there are particular times when one is most alive and most vibrant, and even Percy would say happiest. And for Walker Percy, he would point to times of hurricanes to be those times. If you think about it, it's not that crazy. Uh, the, the in, in the face of a disaster, of a crisis, of something that, that calls out of us reserves that maybe we didn't know we had, we, we rise to the occasion. Um, saints are made, heroes are made, martyrs are made. Uh, adrenaline kicks in. And also, what happens is all the little things that bother us day after day they just fall away. They're no longer important. They don't matter at all. And so what matters is brought into focus, into clarity, into new purpose. Priorities readjust. Conversations are had. Maybe the crisis isn't a hurricane or a natural disaster. Maybe the crisis is, is more personal, a health disaster or a precipice where we're not quite sure what's on the other side. 
If you've ever been with someone or in that hospital waiting room waiting for results, you know how sometimes um, things can be reordered in a powerful and strange way in that setting. And we, we make commitments. We're going to be like this. We're going to do this. We're going to talk to this person. But then a few days later, the sun is back out and things are dry and we're back into uh, our old habits. And we've forgotten those things that seemed to matter so much earlier. Today's gospel talks about forgiveness as one of these things that has enormous power, kind of a force of nature if we are attuned to it. And the gospel suggests that not forgiving is a kind of bondage, a kind of being bound up, being tied in a knot, both for the one who is not forgiven, but also for the one who doesn't forgive. To offer forgiveness, on the other hand, is to unbind, to untie, to free, to loosen Those who learn biblical Greek in seminary can often look like crazy people walking around streets saying, Luo, Lues, Lue, Luo, Lues, Lue. It sounds like we're singing Louie, Louie. Instead, uh, as I did years ago, and many still do, we were memorizing the congregation of Luo. It's a Greek verb meaning to loosen, to loose. And I remember finding that such a strange verb to learn. Why, of all the possible verbs one might learn to begin with, why would it be that one? Well, it's short, and it follows an ordinary conjugation. That's the short answer. But later, when one actually begins to read the Bible in Greek or or read uh, secondary sources that, that rely on that, one realizes that this is a small word but a powerful word. It's a word in today's gospel, but it appears elsewhere in the scriptures. And each time, that little word changes everything. In the gospel of Luke, when Jesus sees a woman who's bent over from some chronic disease or ailment, he heals her. Power is released. He helps her break loose from her sickness, from her deformity, from her embarrassment, from her isolation, from all that's limiting her or holding her back. He he loosens. When Jesus hears that his friend Lazarus has died, he goes to see Martha and Mary, and Jesus gets to the tomb. The entrance is cleared, and Jesus prays to God, and then he says with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out, and Lazarus does come out. But he's wrapped up in his bandages. And so Jesus says, unbind him, loose him, let him go. Lazarus is freed to be a new kind of human being. He's set loose. It's a foreshadowing of what Jesus will do with the bonds of death. A couple of weeks ago in the readings, we had a foreshadowing of today's gospel as St. Peter encounters Jesus and Peter is named the rock, the foundation on whom the church will be built. And then in words that we probably heard quickly and forgot until they come back again this week, Jesus gives Peter what he calls the keys of the kingdom of heaven. 
And he explains what these keys are. Jesus says, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. That's enormous power. This this power of binding and loosing. the, The power of having the keys to the kingdom. Of keeping something locked up and bound for unending days. Or unlocking it and letting it be free for all time. Free and fully alive. But Peter is not the only one to have this power. The early church is not the only one to have this power. We too have inherited this power. What developed in the church was this tradition of a victim confronting the person who has offended or done wrong. Scripture in various places it gives us instructions of how to act. If that doesn't work, if the person doesn't say, you're right, I wronged you, then you take a couple of others from the Christian community with you. And then if the person still is unwilling to address the wrong she or he has done, then you tell the whole church. And if the person doesn't repent, then that person is put out of the church. It's a remarkable process that that relies upon the church functioning as a kind of family. We recall this tradition and this, this idea of repenting and then being reintroduced into the full life of the church. Every Ash Wednesday in that preface to the season of Lent, the prayer book reminds us that Lent is a time for preparing new converts for holy baptism, but also this wonderful old language Because of notorious sins, certain people have been separated from the body of the faithful. They have been reconciled by penitence and forgiveness, and so they are restored to the fellowship of the church. That season of Lent is a season for welcoming home everyone who is freed and forgiven. It's in this context, then, this context of this this power of forgiveness that Matthew's Christian community remembers those words Jesus spoke to his disciples, and they hear in those words instructions for themselves. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This power to loose, to set another person free from guilt, from worry, from fear. This power clearly does enormous good for the person who has until then been separated or has felt cut off or left out. Uh, Probably we all of us have had such times when we felt like that prodigal son or daughter who who felt almost like a stranger or an outcast. But then eventually, perhaps inexplicably, we are welcomed home. That power of forgiveness works wonders on the person who's received, the person who's forgiven. But it also sets loose the one who forgives, the one who is able to forgive, who's able to accept, who's able to welcome Those who study connections between mind, body, and spirit uh, continue to tell us what our bodies already know, which is that anger and resentment affect our bodies, not just our emotions, not just our feelings. Not only do they contribute to the obvious problems of high blood pressure or heart problems, but, but anger bound up 
seems to contribute to depression. It certainly feeds addiction. And a growing number of studies are showing connections with other conditions like like arthritis or even some allergies. We're much more whole people of body, mind, and spirit than we often remember. And so to forgive or to move a little in the direction of forgiveness begins to let loose of some of that anger, that negative energy, that resentment, whatever it is that's built up deep inside of us and maybe has found a convenient home. That release of anger and resentment, whether it comes through a miracle or through the slower miracles of meditation or prayer or exercise, or action. Whatever it is, it can help us to lead healthy and holy lives. As the church, we are stewards of this power to to loosen and to heal. Some aspects of the Christian church think this power belongs only to the ordained clergy. That's a misunderstanding of the tradition, I would submit. The church gives us all sorts of tools to use in offering freedom and full life to the world. We, we have prayer. We can begin to reshape ourselves into the image that God has intended as we allow for the possibility of forgiving another. We have the saints to teach us how it can be done, to show us how it can be lived out how to forgive, and how to be forgiven. Read the the, the fine print about most of the saints. They were not always holy people. (laughs) Often they did some pretty nasty, awful things. That's not the point. The point is never that they were perfect. The point is that they were forgiven. They were freed. They were made new people. And they show us how to do that as well. The church reminds us of the sacrament of reconciliation, which is often nicknamed simply confession. Confession's only part of it, though. That's the part of unloading. Absolution is the part of being freed, receiving God's goodness in all its glory. And we have the Holy Eucharist, this this meal of forgiveness in which we drink new wine and eat new bread, symbols of our being remade into new bodies of Christ in order to extend this message that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name to all the nations. That's why we're here. As I speak of forgiveness, don't hear in me a a, a glib understanding of forgiveness. Not at all. Sometimes forgiveness is not possible in this lifetime. Sometimes people have done horrible things and shouldn't be forgiven quickly, if ever. This is the department of God and the Holy Spirit. But it is for us to at least be open to a willingness that forgiveness can happen. And that begins to free us so that we're not so enslaved by it. And perhaps the Holy Spirit then moves us to a new place of either being forgiven and feeling it in our bones or being moved to a new place of being being able to offer mercy and forgiveness to another. In Shakespeare's Merchant of Venice, Shylock demands payment from Antonio 
It was within the law. Antonio owed him 3,000 ducats and he couldn't pay. The law was clear enough. But Lady Portia, posing as a lawyer, tries to talk Shylock out of his vengeance. Her argument is subtle, it's beautifully crafted, but it's powerful not because of its beauty, but because it points to the truth. And that's, in the end, the appeal. She says that Shylock should show mercy. And Shylock asks, on what compulsion must I? Tell me that. And Portia replies simply, The quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. It is twice blessed. It blesseth him that gives and him that receives. I love that. Mercy is not strained. It's never forced. It's not going to be demanded of you or me or anyone else. You don't have to do it. But if you do, if you're the one who can show mercy, who can offer forgiveness, you unloosen and you unbind, you set free. And there is in that freedom a double blessing. The good news of the gospel is that we don't have to wait for a crisis in order to forgive. We don't have to wait for a storm or a hurricane or a health issue or or something to kind of wake us up fully in order to do it. We can do it anytime, any place. I don't know which is more powerful, really, or more healing to say with conviction and faith and hope and love, I forgive you? Or to say with all belief in a God who loves us beyond our wildest imagining, I am forgiven? Either way, through prayer, through the liturgies of the church, through the sacraments, through the quiet wrestlings of our conscience, The risen Lord Christ whispers those words into our ears. You are forgiven. And he prays that we might hear them, live them, and carry them in our heart to share with a wounded world. The good news of Jesus Christ is that we are forgiven. And we have the grace and power to forgive. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.